Instead of syncing your phone with iTunes, downloading an MP3 into your mobile device, you can stream episodes of MTR with the Stitcher Smart Radio app. Stitcher allows you to listen to My Take Radio via your 4G, 3G, or Wi-Fi connections. Downloading it is quick and easy. Head over to stitcher.com forward slash my take and you'll even be eligible to win some money. Enter my take all one word in the promo box and you'll be eligible to win $100 courtesy of my take radio and Stitcher. MTR Live starts right now. This coverage is live and uncensored, so if you have any small children present, you may want to have them leave the room. What's going on, guys? My Take Radio episode 163 for Thursday, November 15th, 2012. Our call-in number is 347-324-3541. Again, our call-in number is 347-324-3541. If you want to use our feedback line, it's 347-815-0687. 347-815-0MTR. All right, before we get into all the housekeeping, I just want to remind all of you that you can listen to the show via the call-in number. Just do not press option one. Again, you can call into the call-in number 347-324-3541 and listen to the show that way. Just do not press option one to be entered into the caller queue. You can also listen to the show live in 96K Stereo by clicking our Mixler tab on our Facebook fan page. Head over there, press that. And you'll be able to listen to the show in 96K Stereo live. If you want to get archives of the show, as always, iTunes and Stitcher and TuneIn Radio are your sources for that stuff. All right, let's get into some housekeeping for this week. There's a couple of things I want to get out of the way. First up, a programming note, which is next week, of course, Thanksgiving falls on Thursday, which we all know. So My Take Radio will most likely do a show Wednesday night. As of right now, it's 50-50 only because... You know, I do all the cooking in my house for Thanksgiving, so my schedule might be a little hectic. But if we do decide to proceed with a show, it will be Wednesday night at 11 p.m. Eastern. So there you have it with regards to that. Also, want to thank everybody that's liking all the stuff on our Facebook fan page. We've been having a great time sharing cosplay, art, uh, videos, movies, the works with you guys. I appreciate everybody liking and resharing our stuff. We really appreciate it. As always, make sure to recommend our Facebook fan page to your friends. And remember that you have to add the fan page to your page to see updates that are posted daily. It seems that Facebook continues to 
stick it to those of us that have fan pages. You have to add it to your interests and also allow notifications to be displayed so that you can see new updates that we post on the fan page. Otherwise, you're going to have to check into the fan page periodically to see the latest stuff. This is one of the new things that Facebook has been doing, and it's a little stressful only because we know that our content is not reaching all 4,100 fans. So that's very, very upsetting. But as always... You, the fans, can help us out by resharing our content and just making sure to have notifications enabled so that you can see all the new content we post. As we mentioned at the start of the program, as always, MTR is on Stitcher. You can get the Stitcher app for your iOS or Android devices. You can also use it on your desktop computer. You can listen to our shows that way. As always, if you're getting the show off of iTunes, please take a moment and rate the show. We'd really appreciate it. Our Get Glue check-ins are over 200 already, so thank you for continuing to check in on Get Glue. Hopefully one day they'll decide to give us a sticker. Until then, you know, all your check-ins, we are seeing them on the website, and we really appreciate it. While we're on the subject of the site, there is um, a couple of things going on behind the scenes that we are working on just to change navigation and things like that. You're going to see some uh, enhanced menus, and it's going to have expansion on certain things more comics, more collectibles, more toys and stuff. So you're going to see all that stuff on the site. Our new t-shirts, we actually took our Brawling for Boobies logo and made a t-shirt out of that. For those of you that want to pick up a shirt with that logo, those will probably be live this weekend. We're also going to be releasing two other shirts, which some new designs and some very, very interesting logos. So be on the lookout for that. Uh, Our designs are practically final. I think I have to approve one or two color changes, and we should be good to go. Once those are live, I will be sharing those on the fan page for you guys as well. We put a bunch of movie reviews up this week, including the Halo Red vs. Blue 14-disc Blu-ray set. I think um, I'm not going to watch any Red vs. Blue for the time being. I think between the 14-disc for that, looking through Season 10, plus the best of, I think I'm Red vs. Blued out. But... We are going to be giving away the Best of Red vs. Blue DVD. Maybe we'll do that uh, to a caller tonight, or we'll do it on the fan page, or maybe we'll do it on Twitter. We'll see what happens with that. Uh, The Red vs. Blue Blu-ray box set, we're still working on a giveaway for that. When we figure something out, of course, I'll mention it on air. All right, tonight we're going to talk about UFC Macau, which went down this past weekend. TNA Turning Point, Raw, Impact. We got your gaming news. And we got your entertainment news. But before I get into that, let's talk about something that, well, a couple of things that are going on with some of our fellow friends and colleagues that I wanted to share with you guys. Plus, I have some interesting things to discuss regarding uh, this week's uh, opening monologue, if you even want to call it that. I I, I think it's going to start becoming Rich's Bitch Session, (laughs) because we're kind of getting into that territory. Anyway... Just wanted to mention that one of our listeners, De Silva, he is participating in Movember. And if you guys are interested in helping him out, I will include the links in the show notes for that. He's actually uh, very proud and he does it. He's done, I think, the last two years. So if you guys want to help De Silva out with that, the links will be in the show notes. Our friend Adam J from Superhero Photography is working on his next project. It is going to be a female Robocop. In this particular case, though, he is requiring the help of our you know our fans and of course his fans to make it happen he's trying to raise $2,500 to cover the materials and the labor and the shipping as well because there's got to be storyboard and he's got to find the location etc 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 
But again, if you want to participate in that, the links for that will be in the show notes. If they hit $5,000, they're going to try and do also a female Voltron. Last but not least, I got to throw a, a note out to our friend from Rubber Onion Animation, Stephen Brooks, who shared with me a project that's going on. It's an Indiegogo campaign uh, regarding some friends of his trying to get a movie done regarding some uh, three brothers and um, one of them actually passed away from cancer and they're working on doing a movie about it and a documentary. So I'll be sharing the links for that in our show notes as well if you guys want to help out with that. Now, this week's monologue is a, is a two-fold process. First off, I want to talk about the Christmas creep which has been happening throughout the month of October and is incredibly prevalent now in November. And I don't mind. I, I like all the holidays. I, I love Christmas, and I really do enjoy Thanksgiving. Hell, I'm a, I'm a huge fan of Halloween, but I, I just get frustrated with the just the skipping of holidays. It, it almost feels like we go from October 31st and Halloween to December 25th and Christmas at the drop of a hat. And it's frustrating only because during that time period, everybody just gets completely fucking crazy. You know, you walk into a mall on October 30th and it's nice and empty but once you skip past October 31st and into November 2nd or 3rd they already have a tree up they have Santa Claus photography going on it's it's insane not only that but people just think that they have to buy everything possible in stores because they think it's going to run out similar to what's been going on with the hurricane for those of you that are curious about how that's going you know things are moving along we still got the even and odd system in place to get gas but other than that, everything else is good. I have been getting gas from my car. So before anybody thinks I'm going to rant about that, rest assured, I am not. But as I was saying, the, the Christmas creep is just, it's getting insane. And then the Black Friday situations are just getting crazier and crazier. Stores are opening up on Thanksgiving night, in some cases, 8, 9 o'clock. People with families can't even enjoy their fucking Thanksgiving dinners because they got to go and report to whatever retail big box store they work at, whether it's Walmart or Target. It's really, it's really fucked up. Um, the bet, the worst part is that the families of the people that work in these big box stores are the ones that lose out. I really don't see the logic in waiting a couple of hours to buy something instead of rushing out at nine o'clock at night to do so. It's ridiculous. It's like, look, man, enjoy your dinner at six o'clock. Maybe you get the itis and pass out. And then if you want to get some Black Friday shopping done, go out at midnight, go out at one o'clock in the morning, go out at five o'clock in the morning. But don't put yourselves in a situation where those, those poor fucking employees got to schlep in there to sell you a piece of shit television that has the, that has a value of three hundred dollars that they're giving away for 50 bucks. It's really, really, really fucked up. And most importantly, the the worst part of it all is that half of the stuff that's on sale for Black Friday is the same shit that's on sale every year. There's very few things that change from year to year. You, you know you're going to get your TVs. You know you're going to get your console system bundles. You know you're going to get cheapo Blu-rays or DVDs for 2 and $3. I mean, I saw some of the movies that are going to be on sale in, for Black Friday from Best Buy and Target. And it's, it's pretty much the same list of movies across each store, with the difference being maybe a dollar or two different. Kill Bill Volume 1 in Target might be six ninety nine. It might be three ninety nine in another store. That's all it is. It's, it's, 
it's so insane the way shit is has gone with regards to that. And like I said, it bums me out because I like celebrating each holiday in order. I like throwing in some popcorn and watching some cheesy Halloween movies. I like Thanksgiving. I like cooking dinner for my family, drinking some eggnog, uh, passing out, watching some football, maybe watching the Thanksgiving Day Parade. And then, of course, then we can get into the holiday stuff. You know, as soon as the, the Christmas for me starts when they light the tree in Rockefeller Center. That's really, in my opinion, for me, the start of the holiday season. It's not December 1st or any of this other shit. When the tree gets lit at Rockefeller Center, you know it's full holiday madness from start to finish. Until then, just just enjoy each holiday in order, folks. That's all I got to say. And while we're on the subject of holidays, the the other part that I wanted to talk about was something that very strange that's been happening. It's an alarming trend, and I'm noticing it with a lot of my, my friends and colleagues that work in larger companies and work for larger organizations, and that is regarding um, being grateful for your job, which is very, very, very double-sided in, in terms of how you look at it. In my instance, um, you know, in the old days, we used to be paid for our vacation time. If you didn't get sick, and you accrued all your vacation time. When you reached your anniversary with the company, you'd, they'd bust you down with a check. And you'd have, think of it as a little bonus to yourself for not getting sick. So they decided, hey, we're going to cut that off. And you're just going to accrue time. And at the end of the year, if you don't use your vacation time, you lose it. Okay, no biggie. But the problem is that there are a lot of people, myself included, that accrue hundreds of hours of vacation time and just don't take the don't take the time either because there's nothing that needs to be done there's no trips that need to be made and just no necessity to miss work so of course this year same thing you can only carry 40 hours exactly and if you don't use it you lose it so in the midst of conversation between myself and some colleagues you know one of my colleagues was like yeah well you know there's people that don't even get to do, don't get to carry over their time, whatever, you know, we should be grateful we have jobs. And, you know, he's a, he's a guy that's higher up the rung and I, and I respect that. It's cool. But the fact is that it's your responsibility as an employee to wake up and go to work. It is the responsibility of the employer to pay you for that work. Mixed in with that are perks and other little things that keep you motivated to keep working, whether it's pay, or medical benefits, or vacation time, or whatever, there's always awesome perks that kind of keep you there. And the, and by when the perks get outweighed by frustration or just lack of money, you move on to the next opportunity. So it bums me out that so many people are falling back on the, hey, you should be glad you have a job mentality. And and yes, to a degree, I understand that. The, the job market kind of sucks, and, and shit is messed up, but there, there's a fine line between being grateful for your job and knowing what needs to be done. And it's true. I, I, I like my job. I enjoy what I do within reason. But can it be better? Sure it can. But, but I'm not going to sit here and, and, and grovel and kiss ass because I get a paycheck every week. I get a paycheck because I work. It's not, it's not given to me. I'm not overpaid. See, if I, if I were a person that walked in there and made a hundred grand for a job that book value is maybe 45 or 50, then maybe, maybe then I'd be, you know, grateful I have a job. But in this instance, I'm like everybody else out there just going through trying to make ends meet and take care of your business. But it's really an alarming fucking trend 
that so many people sit there and they're like, oh, you should just be grateful you have a job. It's it's appalling. It it it, it bums me out that so many people have become so weak with regards to that, just mentally defeated. I don't know if it's economy or just the the way people think, but it's it's insane. And I figured I'd, I'd share it with you guys just because, you know, I give you guys a little insight into, you know, uh, Rich's real world, so to speak. But let's not talk about gloom and doom. Let's not talk about Black Friday and all this other shit. Let's talk about some MMA, which, of course, is brought to you by MMA Warehouse. Want all the best MMA gear, including training gear and some of your favorite fighters walkout shirts, make sure to head over to MMAWarehouse.com. Also, we are powered this week by the UFC app for Xbox Live, which uh, kindly is helping us out this week with a couple of things. As always, you can pick up the UFC app right through the Xbox Live marketplace. As a matter of fact, this weekend, if you want to order the GSP Carlos Condit fight, they're actually taking 30% off the card. So if you want to save a couple of bucks and enjoy the experience on Xbox Live, it's 30% off, so you save a couple of bucks, and it's a really, really solid experience. Uh, picture quality is crystal clear. You can either order it in standard definition or high definition, and actually, we're going to be doing our UFC fight picks later on tonight or tomorrow using the Xbox Live app. I'm really looking forward to testing it out that way. I've been meaning to do it the last couple of months, and you just forget, and things get out of hand, but... We're going to pull the trigger on it this week, and also, like I said, if you want to check out the card, 30% off. It's a no-brainer. You save a couple of bucks, and you can watch it in HD right on your Xbox. All right, so let's get into this week's MMA news. Instead of calling UFC on Fuel TV 6 Franklin versus Lee, I should have called the UFC Fuel TV 6 The Decision because there were a ton of decisions in, in, uh, on this card. There were really not too many finishes. There were some some solid ones. I do got to admit there were some solid finishes, but most of them were unanimous decisions, split decisions. It just It just wasn't the kind of card you would expect to have so many decisions on it. But I want to just pluck out a couple of fights. I want to talk about Mac Danzig. Takanori Gomi. I'm a big fan of the Fireball Kid. Mac Danzig also coming out of the Ultimate Fighter. Um, I forgot what season he was on. Shit. Anyway, Mac Danzig, he goes in there. He's always exciting to watch. He has really good stand-up. Coming in there against Takanori Gomi, who has great wrestling. Um, I knew there was going to be some sprawl and brawl on Gomi's part. Danzig definitely uh, brought, brought the heat early on, but Gomi used the jab. He used the jab a lot. Um, definitely getting in a, um, you know, he, it was, it was interesting the way it was going because I expected Gomi to kind of be the aggressor to take the fight to the ground, but Danzig actually threw caution out the fucking window in the final seconds of the first and took him out with a single leg takedown. But Gomi took advantage of being on the ground and went for a heel hook to close out the first round. So it was a solid finish for Gomi. Danzig though, second round comes out, flicking the jab, flicking the jab a lot. Try to take down on Gomi, but definitely bomb that. But Gomi definitely looked really, really good. Um, he did get into some trouble, got his head caught in a guillotine, but he survived the round. So it was definitely a nice showing for Danzig. Uh, third round, though, Gomi looked really, really good. Um, he caught Danzig at one point 
with uh, with a really nice right hand that I think definitely did a little bit of damage. But the fight was exciting from start to finish. Gomi takes the fight via split decision. I'm actually very happy because if you guys listen to last week's show when I was talking with Ben, I said that Gomi kind of needs the win because he may get cut if he lost. So I'm very happy to see that. Very impressed. Um, Stun, uh, Stun Gun Kim... His fight with Paulo Thiago ended in a decision, but Kim looked really good across the board all three rounds. The fight that blew my mind, Stanislav Nedkov, 12-0, coming and taking on Thiago Silva. Uh, Nedkov, the aggressor for the first two rounds. In the third, though, out of nowhere, Silva pulls out a beautiful head and arm triangle and submits Nedkov, giving him his first loss in the octagon. Very, very, very impressive, especially coming back from being down two rounds because Nedkoff looked really good in both rounds. As for the main event, when we were talking about this last week, Ben kind of felt that Rich Franklin had a better opportunity to win this fight. I was very, very happy to hear our our, our friend Kung Lee caught Rich Franklin with a beautiful, beautiful right hand. Was it a right hand? No. It was a um, Rich Franklin through the left. And then Kung Lee counterpunched, and it was lights out for Rich Franklin at 2 minutes and 17 seconds in the first round. Very, very, very impressive. I was happy for Kung Lee. Like, like I said, he, he's a great guy. He's been on the show before. He's got the success of the man with the iron fists under his belt as well. And he's just trying to make a, a name for himself in the middleweight division. I really enjoyed the fight um, in front of the, the, the Macau crowd. They really ate it up. Very, very, very impressive. Now... With regards to the bonuses that got given out, knockout of the night, of course, went to Kung Lee. Submission of the night went to Thiago Silva, well-deserved. And fight of the night went to Takanori Gomi and Mac Danzig. Again, well-deserved bonuses for all those guys, $40,000 for each of the parties involved. Again, the card was, I don't want to say it was boring, but it definitely was a little slower than I would have liked. Not to, you know, I, I was catching that fight at... That card at 7 o'clock in the morning on a Saturday. And I'm sitting there and the fights are just dragging on. And it's so early in the morning. I'm, I'm falling asleep through the fights because they, it's not that they lacked excitement. But it was just way too early to have so many decisions. So I definitely got my second win watching the Gomi fight. And the Thiago Silva submission victory definitely got me hype. And, and watching Kung Lee get the victory, it, it kind of redeemed the card overall for me. But it happens once in a while. Not every card is going to be a barn burner. This weekend, of course, GSP, Carlos Condit, is, is, it's going to be insane. GSP fighting in front of the home crowd. It's going to be insane. Definitely insane for that. I think the prelims start at 545, if I'm correct. And then uh, the Facebook prelims start, I think, 545, 6 o'clock. And then the regular prelims start at 9, I think. 8 or 9. So check your local listings just to make sure. And you can check out some of the fights there. And, of course, the big one goes down 10 p.m. Eastern, um, 8 p.m. Pacific on pay-per-view. You can also, like I said, check it out on Xbox Live. Now, let's get into the other MMA news for this week, which um, things were kind of quiet. Um, in the Strike Force front, of course, the last Strike Force card is coming to you January 12th. And a new fight was added. Ryan Couture, uh, son of the... Randy the Natural Couture taking on KJ Noons, which I think is going to be a really good fight. I think Randy Couture is is doing great things, getting his son very, very acclimated to the sport. His son comes in there, gives very solid performances. Um, we're going to see if Ryan Couture 
can weather the boxing prowess of KJ Nunes. I think he will. I think he's going to use his wrestling, get some ground and pound in, and get himself a victory over KJ Nunes, which is good. It raises his stock and actually makes him attractive to the UFC as well. So I'm actually looking forward to that. Again, Strike Force's last card will be taking place January 12th at the Chesapeake Energy Arena in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma. Now, this past Friday, shifting gears a bit, we had the Bellator 80 card, which um, I actually watched it on Epics, which actually gives the fights in HD. I totally forgot about that. And it was funny because I was messaging back and forth with Ben uh, with regards to one fight in particular, that being the Joe Warren fight. But again, uh, two we had two decisions on the main card and a um, uh, TKO via strikes. But the Joe Warren-Owen Evinger fight frustrated me because Joe Warren uh, used his wrestling, definitely a, a lot of ground and pound going on, but he was extremely active, super exciting, and the crowd just booing the poor guy, booing the shit out of that, that entire fight, which, again, it just boggled my mind. I, I was mess- messaging back and forth with Ben, and I was like, dude, you know, how are these people booing this fight? This fight is actually very good. And, you know, Ben Ben shared his own wisdom with regards to it. Mostly, um, pretty much, fans are fucking idiots. But I was really, really impressed with Joe Warren's performance, especially coming off of two knockout losses that he had. And he looked really good in that fight. So I'm glad to see him back on the winning track. Last week, I also mentioned that Dream will be doing their show for New Year's Eve as usual. But it's been announced that they will be teaming up with Glory. So it's going to be Dream 18 and Glory 4 Tokyo New Year's Eve special. It's going to be taking place uh, December 21st um, at 2 a.m. Eastern, 4 p.m. local time in Saitama, Japan. Don't know what the broadcast details are going to be yet. Maybe they'll give it New Year's Eve like they did last year. Super pumped to see it. I think that the Dream cards are just something that are a staple in my house when they give them for New Year's Eve, especially when they started giving them on Axis, um, which used to be HDNet. So very pumped to see them working with Glory. So we know we're going to see some great MMA and also some great Muay Thai as well. In some UFC news, UFC 155 got a brand new fight added to the card. Alan Belcher will be meeting Yushin Okami. That's going to be taking place December 29th, the last UFC of 2012. Of course, main event, Junior Dos Santos taking on Cain Velasquez. Phil Davis taking on Forrest Griffin. Tim Bocek taking on Chris Weidman. Joe Lazan was supposed to be taking on um, Gray Maynard, but it turns out that Maynard sustained a knee injury, so he is actually out of the fight and will be replaced uh, by Jim Miller. Jim Miller will be replacing him. So last but not least, like I said, Alan Belcher, Yushin Okami added to the card. On the prelims, Chris Lieben is taking on Carlos Vemela which I'm actually looking forward to. And Leonard Garcia and Cody McKenzie definitely has the makings of a great fight as well. Speaking of Junior Dos Santos, it was announced that he is the newest UFC fighter to be signed by Nike Brazil. He joins fellow MMA stars John Jones, of course, light heavyweight champion and middleweight champion Anderson Silva as members of the Nike family. Nike, we all know, sponsors usually soccer players, and um, football players, basketball players, but it's really nice to see them really starting to get into the sport of mixed martial arts. Of course, they got the ball rolling with John Jones here in the U.S., Anderson Silva in Brazil, and now adding Junior Dos Santos. I have a feeling that this is just the start of a continuing trend where the UFC is going to continue signing some of these champions. I'm shocked that George St. Pierre hasn't joined 
the Nike family, but I also know that it's because he is signed with Under Armour, and I doubt that Under Armour would take too nicely to being played second to Nike. But who knows? Maybe GSP will become a Nike athlete in the near future. But I will say this. With the addition of Ronda Rousey to the UFC, I would not be shocked if Ronda Rousey becomes the first female mixed martial artist to be a Nike-sponsored athlete. You heard it here first. Now, UFC on FX6 is coming together quite nicely, but the injury bug continues to haunt, to haunt the UFC. Um, Anthony Parosh actually broke his, uh, his toe, which was very, very graphic. I saw it on MiddleEasy.com, and he was supposed to be taking on Joey Beltran. Now, with his injury, he is off, and Igor Porkryat is stepping in to take on Joey Beltran at UFC on FX6. Uh, the main event for that is Ross Pearson, George Sotteropoulos, Hector Lombard and Husamar Palhares, and of course the finales for the Australia versus UK Ultimate Fighter, welterweights and lightweights. Also on that card, uh, Seth Bozinski, he'll be taking on Mike Pierce, which is definitely a fight that may go under the radar, but I'm really, really pumped for Hector Lombard, Husamar Palhares. It can that fight can end in a violent fashion, standing or on the ground, either with Hector Lombard's KO power or Husamal Parhares's his nasty submission game. He may go for the heel hook or for the knee bar and really try and do some damage. So we're going to find out if Hector Lombard can weather Parhares's storm and actually get a win in the UFC octagon. We'll see how that pans out. That card is going down December 15th, and that's going to be in gold in... Um, the Gold Coast Convention and Exhibition Center in Australia. Now, a guy who we haven't talked about in the, in the segment in a while is Alistair Overeem, who we all know has been suspended, and his suspension should be up for right around the end of the year. Everybody was expecting Overeem to come back and challenge for the belt immediately, but all signs are pointing towards a collision course with Antonio Bigfoot Silva. As of right now, the rumors are indicating that they're going to meet at UFC 156 in February. Of course, this fight is all is all completely based on Overeem actually getting a license from the Nevada State Athletic Commission once his suspension is finished. So it's going to be very interesting to see how that goes down. The main event for that card is going to be Jose Aldo versus Frankie Edgar for the featherweight title. I'm actually interested to see that fight. In, to, for Well, ugh, excuse me. Talk about fucking up that sentence. Anyway. I really want to see that fight only because Antonio Silva is just such a a large, massive athlete. And every guy that he fights, he just goes and he just destroys just on the fact that he's so big. He's such a huge, huge heavyweight. And you got a guy like Alistair Overeem. He's fucking Godzilla in the octagon. And it's going to be interesting to see if Antonio Silva tries to pull a Verdum and take the fight to the ground in the hopes of submitting Overeem. I think Overeem's going to go in there and try and make a statement He's working his hardest to be a poster boy for the UFC here in America. And if he's able to take down Bigfoot Silva and get a title opportunity from it, I think he'll be on his way. And this fight is going to be the perfect fight to get him ready for it. Now, as always, it's fight week. And of course, the UFC is injury plagued for 2012. So it's no surprise that Dana White posts a frustrated tweet at some point during the week. And in this particular case, it involved Ultimate Fighter coach Shane Carwin, who turns out blew out his knee 
and is out of the fight with Roy Nelson, which was supposed to go down December 15th for the Ultimate Fighter finale. He is now being replaced by Matt Mitrione. Matt Mitrione was scheduled originally to fight Philip DeFries at UFC 155 at the end of the month, but he is stepping in to take on Roy Nelson December 15th. So, once again, the injury card, the injury bug strikes, and it claims another great fight. I actually was looking forward to, to seeing Carwin and Big Country only because these guys, both guys, just they need one or two victories to get up there and and make a mark. In the, in the in the upper card of the heavyweight division, Shane Carwin, of course, uh, got submitted by Brock Lesnar, and he, I have it feels like ages since I've seen him fight. And to hear that he blew out his knee and won't be able to fight Big Country, it's just another blow for a guy who's been trying to bounce back from injury. So I wish Shane Carwin the best, and I'm hoping that you know he comes back sooner rather than later. As I mentioned before, Gray Maynard, he was supposed to take on Joe Lozano, UFC 155. He is out, and Jim Miller will be replacing him. Jim Miller, of course, he fought Nate Diaz at UFC on Fox 3, so I'm actually looking forward to seeing if he can bounce, bounce back with a victory against Joe Lazan. Now, the crazy thing that everybody's been talking about, it's been on Twitter, it's been on SureDog and a couple of other mixed martial arts websites, is a comment that Anderson Silva made regarding wanting to take off uh, most of 2013 and fighting towards the end of the year. Obviously, a guy like Anderson Silva with the belt can run, who's run completely through his division, he, he kind of feels he has special privileges, but it seems Dana White has other ideas. He was re- Dana White recently popped up on ESPN Sports Center to talk about UFC 154, and you know he was asked about Anderson Silva taking off 2013. He said, Anderson Silva is going to be at the at the fight this weekend, and if GSP wins, he's going to be fighting Anderson Silva. Right now, the plan is for Anderson Silva and GSP super fight to occur in May. When that when asked about Anderson Silva wanting to take off most of 2013, Dana White said he said he wouldn't fight Chael Sonnen again either, but he did. He always comes out and says this stuff. I don't know why he does or why he says the things he says. I guarantee you. He will be there Saturday. If George St. Pierre wins, those two will fight, and it will probably be in May. Now, of course, the big thing is, if that fight goes down, will they do it at a stadium? There's been there's been mention of them doing it at Dallas' Texas Stadium or a soccer stadium in Brazil. So it's going to be very interesting to see how this pans out next you know within the next couple of days the way i see it is if gf if gsp wins a super fight needs to happen only because there's going to be so much money and any fighters that are on that card for that super fight are going to get paid simple as that all right well that wraps up this week's mma segment let's get into some wrestling we got a lot of things to discuss of course our very own booker t will take it away we want the gold, sucker! Hulk Hogan, we coming for you, nigga! All right, well, I want to talk about TNA's Turning Point pay-per-view, which actually was surprisingly good, actually better than their last pay-per-view, and it was because the quality of matches definitely had increased, but besides that, there were just great performances from all parties involved. They did a TNA title match to open things up. It was a no-DQ match between Samoa Joe and Magnus. Again, these guys continue to do great work together. Samoa Joe got the submission, of course, which is to be expected, but Magnus definitely coming into his own. I see him being a guy that 
will be part of the upper mid card for the foreseeable future, barring injury, of course. He's a great heel. He has tremendous charisma. He goes in there. He delivers very solid matches, and him and Joe work very well together. We got a tag team match with ODB and Eric Young taking on Tara and, of course, Jesse Jesse Goddard's Mr. Pectacular fucking throwaway match only because Jesse is just garbage. Eric Young is always entertaining, but this really had the makings of a match that you would see on Impact versus a match that you would see on a pay-per-view. But what can you do? We had an X Division title match with RVD and Joey Ryan, which, of course, ended with not only RVD getting the victory, but also getting laid out by Matt Morgan. I was actually very, very shocked that Joey Ryan got a title opportunity so quickly, only because while he is a pretty good character, he needs a little bit more time in the ring. And honestly, Rob Van Dam in the X Division, he needs guys that'll test him. Guys like AJ Styles, Christopher Daniels, Kazarian, you know, high flyers. Joey Ryan just burst onto the scene. He needs a little bit more seasoning. Then maybe we, we can expect to see him in the title hunt. I don't know what the deal is with Matt Morgan. Is Matt Morgan going to challenge for the X Division title? If he does, that'll be completely fucking stupid. But what can you do? Sometimes TNA booking's logic goes out the fucking window. Joseph Park, the lawyer, a.k.a. Abyss, took on Doc from Aces and Eights in, in a completely garbage fucking match. Again, another match that I expected to see on Impact that sullied some of the other great matches on the card. Like I said, this and that mixed tag match, complete dog shit. Meanwhile, the TNA tag team title match with Chavo and Hernandez taking on Daniels and Kaz was ridiculous. Great spots, great wrestling. Hernandez is continuing to develop. He's coming along quite nicely. He's another guy that he has great potential to be in the main event, but not yet. He needs a little bit more work with Chavo before they put him back into the singles career. I guarantee you one of them is going to turn. Most likely you, they're going to turn Chavo only because Hernandez is the younger guy and they're trying to market him a little bit more aggressively. So in my opinion, odds are they'll turn Chavo, but you never know. They may throw us a curveball and turn Hernandez instead. Now this particular match was very, very interesting. They were The stipulations were that if you win the match, you get a title shot. But the loser that gets pinned cannot get a title shot until Bound for Glory 2013. Of course, your participants, AJ Styles, Bobby Roode, and James Storm. I kind of saw them going with James Storm only because he's, he's getting an incredible following on, you know, with the country music television stuff and just Midwest and, and loved in the South. So I, I knew a push for him was forthcoming. I was shocked that AJ ate the pinfall because AJ is the flag bearer for TNA. And it feels like it's been ages since I've seen him in the main event challenging for a belt. I would have rather seen Bobby Roode out of the main event picture for a little bit only because he can, he can do so much more. Maybe challenge Samoa Joe for the television title, add a little bit of prestige there. Bobby Roode is a, is a great competitor, but it's too much of him as of late. James Storm, I, I know what the idea is. I know where it's going, so I don't mind that so much. But taking AJ out of the, the main event for the foreseeable future definitely was frustrating. I mean, a lot of people, of course, myself included, know that it's probably part of a bigger plan. But still, AJ's a guy that's been there from the very beginning, and I think he should be a guy that should be rewarded with better opportunities considering how long he's been there. Kurt Angle versus Devon was not a complete clusterfuck. I'm not a fan of Devon, the singles wrestler. I'm not. I don't care who he's aligned with. It just does not work. 
Angle, of course, gets the victory via submission. Aces and eight attack. Blah, blah, blah. Wash, rinse, and repeat. Now, the the match that stole the entire show was the latter match between Jeff Hardy and Austin Aries. It was a thing of beauty, completely brutal, not too many high spots, just a lot of really great ladder spots. You know, brain busters from Austin Austin Aries, swanton bombs off the ladder. It was a ridiculous ladder match. But when it comes to Jeff Hardy, I've noticed that his, his his ladder match work ethic, so to speak, is just infinitely better than most of his other work it really is he he seems to just take it to a whole other level the match with austin aries was awesome it was it if i had to rate this pay-per-view out of a possible 10 i'd give it maybe a seven and a half only because like i said the joseph parks devon's fucking singles match and that mixed tag match brought down what was a pretty solid pay-per-view like i said austin aries jeff hardy i hope that they continue the feud with them because the matches are are a thing of beauty to watch, definitely, from start to finish. All right, switching gears, let's get into Raw, which actually had a couple of things that were questionable this week and kind of brought down certain aspects of the broadcast. Well, of course, the big thing for Raw this week was the return of Jerry Lawler, and we actually opened up with some wrestling. Randy Orton and Dolph Ziggler opened things up in a rather paint-by-numbers match. I'm really getting tired of seeing Dolph Ziggler eat pinfall after pinfall every week. If this is a guy that you're trying to build as a future main eventer, having him do the job for Randy Orton was just pointless. You could have ended it in a DQ or had team members get involved and cost Orton the match, but... Allowing Orton to get the pin, I mean, it was with a roll-up, but still, I'm just not a fan of that. Like I said, Dolph Ziggler needs every win possible until ca- until cashing in his briefcase. And to have Randy Orton just come in and they give him another victory in, and keep padding his record, it's just, it's just bullshit to me. There's no necessity for it. Hopefully, if rumors are true, they'll turn Randy Orton heel and maybe him and Ziggler can get into a program where we can actually start grooming Dolph Ziggler as a face. I'd actually be interested to see how Dolph Ziggler can work as a face against a heel Randy Orton. I think if they do that and kind of switch things up a bit, it should lead to some better stories and some better feuds between both of these guys. I think that, you know, right now, Randy Orton as the face, sure, he's he's getting over on Ziggler, but if you kind of take a break turn Orton and then gradually turn Ziggler and have them meet again down the road, we may get some some better magic out of both of these guys because I think they both extremely athletic and would work well together. Yes, Randy Orton's promo work is completely fucking boring. That we know. But his wrestling, depending on who he's involved with, on who he's involved with during the matches, isn't that bad. I got I gotta be honest. Of course, right after the the roll-up victory by Randy Orton. We had ourselves a tag team match courtesy of Teddy Long. As soon as that Teddy Long music hits, nine times out of ten, tag team match. So, of course, Orton, Kofi Kingston took on Dolph Ziggler and Del Rio, which allowed the heels to get back their victory. Honestly, I would have rathered Ziggler win by DQ in the first one, 
due to interference from these guys, and then maybe let the faces get the victory in a tag team match with the pin on Del Rio. I would have rather have seen that. It would have worked out better. Of course, we got the stupid scandal shit with AJ and Vicky and John Cena. I'm so tired of it. It's so fucking terrible. It's such garbage. Really, really, there's so many other things you can do with AJ, especially in a uh, in a situation where the roster is so depleted of divas. This is what we get. We get this shit. Again, I wasn't a fan. Big Show and William Regal, another low point for me. William Regal is a is an excellent competitor. Comes in there, just gets mauled by the fucking Big Show. I would have rather, at least, if the Big Show gets a victory, it would have been more hard fought. He came in there and William Regal eating chops. He had massive handprints on his chest, just making the Big Show look good. Nothing can make the Big Show look good. I'm sorry, and to sacrifice a guy like Regal, who is a, is a great worker, just to get the Big Show over even further is just it doesn't work for me it really doesn't we had a number one contenders divas championship match actually which um caitlin and layla because who else would it be caitlin getting the victory to meet eve at survivor series and the funny thing is that this match is like the 15 other matches we've seen involving caitlin and layla layla is a very decent worker but as of late she's gotten incredibly sloppy Caitlyn is developing a little bit, but she's not quite there yet. If it was Caitlyn against somebody that had a bit more experience and there were certain things that went south, I can understand only because the the more experienced wrestler would help her look better. But Layla's been there for a little while, and some of the botches that I've seen for the past two weeks from her, you just you shouldn't expect considering who's in the ring. I'm sorry, it's it just really shouldn't go that route. But what 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 can you say? I honestly the thing that bummed me out the most was just the fact that you you're not bringing up other divas. You're not. All you got is AJ, the usual suspects and it just just doesn't work. And the worst part is in my opinion that with so many divas in the minor leagues and so many women that you've released or or let leave, you've just destroyed your entire division. But hopefully if the rumors are true, they'll be calling up a couple of new divas, and maybe that division will actually start to to fix itself. I'm holding out hope. Whether it happens or not, though, remains to be seen. Now, of course, this leads us into the next segment where we had Jerry Lawler's return, which was very nice. Nice little uh, welcome home speech from Jerry Lawler, interrupted by the incredibly amazing CM Punk. Of course, the funny thing about this particular segment was the the division amongst not only the fans, but also amongst the wrestlers with regards to how it was handled. Some people felt the segment was tasteless. Others felt that this was the segment that made Punk the best heel in the WWE today, With the, of course, with the addition of Paul Heyman. Some people just felt that it was too soon to go that route. But you know what? I'm going to let you guys hear this promo from CM Punk and you guys can judge for yourselves but I have to admit CM Punk dialed it in and it was thoroughly thoroughly impressive check this out ladies and gentlemen nine weeks ago tonight my broadcast colleague Jerry the King Lawler collapsed at ringside and JR it is an absolute miracle that we've come to this point tonight 
Ladies and gentlemen, many of us thought this night might never come, but without any further ado, please join me in the WWE Universe and welcoming back WWE Hall of Famer and my friend, Terry the King Lawler! I'm going to fast forward a little bit through Jerry Lawler's speech only because we all know Jerry Lawler is going to say thank you for the prayers, thank you for the support, I'm glad to be back, etc., 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 which, of course, brings out CM Punk. I just fast forwarded to that. Check this out. WWE Champion CM Punk accompanied by Paul Heyman. The man who, who had a major issue with Jerry Lawler. It was back over the summer where Jerry the King Lawler called CM Punk out for, quote, turning his back on WWE fans. The words of the King. And ever since that night, CM Punk has held those words to the back of his mind. And he's used that as this catalyst for what he has been on this, this desperate attempt for, for respect from superstars and WWE fans alike. And now, the ultimate sign and showing of disrespect to come out here tonight and ruin this moment. The return of Jerry the King Lawler to try again to steal the spotlight. The ultimate in disrespect from our WWE Champion. Jerry, I'm glad you left the ring when you did because if you didn't, I would have beat you to death. Again. I had boom, boom me because what I do is in bad taste. The things I say are disrespectful. But whatever you do, don't point a finger at Jerry the King Lawler. No, he's the conquering hero. He's defeated death. He died and he came back to life. He's a real-life zombie. Everybody knows I love zombies. But the fact is that your behavior is disrespectful. What you do is in bad taste because to me a 62 year old man putting on his wrestling gear and stepping in the ring thinking he can relive his glory days and go toe to toe with your reigning defending undisputed WWE champion is in bad taste and what did you think was going to happen 
when you go toe-to-toe with the best in the world. Well, I guess one of the side effects of that is having a heart attack. And shame on all of you people for pointing a finger at me and sending me hate mail, sending me nasty tweets saying that I did this to Jerry Lawler when it's nobody's fault except for his. Blame falls squarely on your shoulders on this one, King. It's it's true. And you people point a finger at me and say, oh, oh, CM Punk, you're a bad person. What you do is in bad taste. No. Shame on you, Jerry Lawler. Shame on you for trying to steal my spotlight with this whole heart attack stunt. You know, people in the back are talking about the number of minutes that you were clinically dead. And I I look them in the eye and I say, who cares? Who cares about the number of minutes that somebody was clinically dead? I can give you a number that actually means something. 358. And that's the number of days I have consecutively, successfully defended my WWE championship. I... I have just recently tied Big Daddy Cool Diesel as the ninth longest reigning WWE champion in company history. I want you all to think about that right now. The ninth longest reigning champion in history. And, and you can dismiss Diesel if you, if you feel like it. You can dismiss my title reign. But I'll give you a number that really means something. 365. Because in one week's time, I will be standing in this ring one year strong. No end in sight, WWE champion. Because on Sunday at Survivor Series, I will beat Ryback. I will beat John Cena. Just like I have before. And honestly, King, from the bottom of my heart, I'm glad you're here. I'm glad you're back. And on Sunday, I'm glad you're going to have a front row seat to watch me do exactly what I say I'm going to do. Just try not to croak before the pay-per-view, okay? So there you have it, CM Punk in full heel mode. Of course, I could have let it go on a little bit further, having Paul Heyman fake a heart attack, which was fucking gold, because Paul Heyman is, is, he is the rabbi of creative. But besides that, just just a great, great coming out party for CM Punk as a heel. Every every heel in the business, whether it's Hogan or any other superstar, has that one defining moment. And CM Punk, his defining moment for me as a face was his promo shitting on Vince McMahon. It was ridiculous. It was ridiculous. Now... This particular case for him being a heel was more. It was it was so much more only because you're taking something so legitimate, so real that you go and and you allow it to become an angle. And of course, everybody agreed. And, you know, this wasn't something that was done spur of the moment. This was something that was decided a week or two back before Jerry Lawler came back, and even Jerry Lawler approved it. And this is just a testament to Jerry Lawler also being a consummate professional. This is the same guy that let Michael Cole clown his dead mother, which is insane. But 
for the craft, Jerry Lawler is is an all star, and CM Punk that promo validated him as a heel, one hundred percent. There's no bigger heel going right now than CM Punk, and that showed it. That promo demonstrated it completely. I was I was I was blown away by by how it went down, and of course Mick Foley came out give uh, give gave one of his passionate Foley promos. Of course, there was a little bit of a cheap pop in there, but passionate Foley promos are always good because they they bring the crowd full circle and get them fully involved. And not only that, but they really reinforce that the crowd should be booing the heel. And another another promo like that was the promo where. Mick Foley had Randy Orton spit in his face. Nothing made Randy Orton more hated, in my opinion, than that promo. Because the the way that that promo was was laid out from start to finish, and just the fact that Randy Orton legit spit in Mick Foley's face was ridiculous. Because yeah, you know you you can always do the promo and and subtly spit on a guy, but this was the camera full up close on the side of Mick Foley's cheek as spit rolled down his face. It was it was ridiculous. So it, I really like just all the parties involved for this promo. Next, we got ourselves an eight-man tag match. Rey Mysterio, Sin Cara, Team Mucha Lucha, Tyson Kidd, Justin Gabriel taking on the PTP, and my favorite poncho-wearing Puerto Ricans. Of course, it was academic for the faces to get the pinfall, which they did. Next up, Ryback completely murder-death killed Brad Maddox, which I felt was the longest mauling in the history of television and honestly was poorly executed. I really thought Brad Maddox was going to get some sort of help, whether from Heyman or from whoever, and get himself the million-dollar contract. Instead, they just decided to do a a long 15-minute ass-whooping that just went a lot. It went on way too long, in my opinion. We get it. Ryback's a monster. We got it, but... To drag that out for so long with no legit payoff, it really just brought down the broadcast. Then, Sheamus and David Otunga was another glorified squash match, which again, brought down the show. But then things kind of came around full circle when they did the the Raw Active, and Kane and his new partner, The Miz, took on the Road Scholars. Of course, The Miz now on Team Foley, and so begins The Miz's face turn. Now, many of you are wondering, oh, why'd you turn The Miz for? Well, number one... He's got to be a face to promote the Marine home front. Number two, he's in the children's book with Mick Foley. And of course, kids are going to want to read books involving good guys. It's just the way it is. And honestly, I think The Miz, he, he's worked his entire career as a heel. Let's see how he fares as a face. And this was a nice way to do it without outright turning him face. Just real subtle. And using Dolph Ziggler as a catalyst was really good as well, but... I'm I'm looking forward to seeing face Miz only because he's been a heel for so long. That's all. To close things out, non-title match, CM Punk, John Cena. We knew how this was going to go. Special enforcer was Mick Foley. John Cena gets the pin with the attitude adjustment. We get a little face-off between him and Ryback, which just looked completely fucking bullshit, shaky face. CM Punk like a little child standing outside of the ring. Definitely not the way I wanted Raw to close out with a pay-per-view at stake where you want somebody to drop $60. So, Raw was high points and low points. But to the low points that I really cited were ones that brought down the show substantially. Now, of course, post-pay-per-view impact was a little better. We had a, we had a couple of decent matches there. I was really impressed with a lot of the matches, but I'm not going to get into it only because 
for some reason, the notes I have for Impact, they seem incomplete unless I'm missing something. Wait a minute. Let me refresh this. All right. A lot better. Anyway, I can actually get into Impact. We had a, um X Division title match, RVD and Kid Cash, which was... A lot better than RVD and Joey Ryan, honestly. And I'm glad. I'm always glad to see Kid Cash on television. A guy who is severely underutilized is Kid Cash. But the match was pretty good. A lot of people felt that it went a little too quick, but it was a solid, solid opening match. Eric Young took on Jesse from Big Brother, which um, it was. It was. It was decent. I mean, Jesse got the victory, which is fine because you needed to get him over. But it really wasn't what you would expect. Of course, Aces and Eights come in, running down, doing their thing. They beat up Magnus. Magnus got the stretcher job. Uh, Devon and another masked member of Aces and Eights took on Kurt Angle and Garrett Bischoff. Why, of all people, would you put Garrett Bischoff on my fucking television? I really thought Garrett Bischoff and um, Maddox were the same fucking guy because that's how vanilla both guys are. But I guess you got to try and give these fuckers TV time, so... I guess there's no other time to do it than with Kurt Angle. We had a number one contenders battle royal with the returning Mickey James, Gail Kim, ODB, and Madison Rain, and Miss Tessmacher, the winner, of course, would challenge Tara for the title at the next pay-per-view. The returning Mickey James actually survived, and she was the winner of the match. I mean, she hasn't been on TV in ages. I think she also had an injury as well. So it's good to see Mickey James back on TV. We'll see if they give her another title run. Honestly, I think keeping the belt on Tara is better for the knockout. She's the more experienced wrestler. And not only that, Mickey James, Miss Tessmacher, they thrive on being the, the people chasing for the belt. When they get the title, they just become fucking stale as shit. Sorry, they do. James Storm, Bobby Roode. You know, of course, um, James Storm's opportunity for a title match was on the line. Bobby Roode gets the victory, which I was surprised as to why they did that, of all things, considering that James Storm, I really felt they were building him up for a run at the belt. Putting putting Bobby Roode in there, feuding with Jeff Hardy all over again, we've seen it, and it hasn't even been that long since it happened. So I'd rather see James Storm in there. Hopefully... They, they change gears and they give it back to Storm. As of right now, all signs point to Rude challenging Jeff Hardy. We'll see how that pans out. Personally, give it back to James Storm. He's the, he's the better guy for it. And not only that, maybe, just maybe, he's a guy that you can kind of put the belt on second to Jeff Hardy because you've got to create a secondary face that can carry the company. So James Storm definitely has the makings of being that guy. We'll see what happens. Impact got taped. Um, Impact got taped for Thanksgiving. I'm not going to spoil it, but of course, when you watch it on Thursday, you will know that it was a taped episode of Impact. Anyway, the other wrestling news for this week, kind of quiet. Brad Maddox is off television now. He'll be back in w- uh, he'll be back in the WWE in 2013 with a renewed push. Um, of course, they're doing it to sell the beating he took from Ryback, which is fine. Like I said, I would have rather have seen them going the route of possibly shenanigans, him getting the million-dollar contract, making that a gimmick. But instead, like I said, the overdramatic, overly done beatdown, and Brad Maddox returns in January. Now, WrestleMania will be here before you know it, and of course, the big thing that people talk about is the Hall of Fame class. 
Now, a lot of names get tossed around. A lot of names, of course, I, 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 I pray for the day that Randy Savage gets inducted. Um, a lot of people say that Randy Savage wanted to be inducted with his brother, the genius, and his father. Um, whether they do that like they did the Von Erichs remains to be seen. Other names that have been tossed around, of course, The Rock, Mick Foley, the late Owen Hart, Bruno Sammartino, and the Ultimate Warrior. Now, we all know Bruno Sammartino has turned down invitations to be in the Hall of Fame numerous times, as has the Ultimate Warrior. We'll see if um, the power of the almighty dollar bill can convince either of these guys. Honestly, I think Bruno Sammartino is long overdue. So is the Ultimate Warrior, but to be quite honest... I'd rather have Bruno San Martino and the and the the Savage family go in there that before the Ultimate Warrior, only because Randy Savage did so much for the company, was involved in so many memorable matches that it, it would be a disservice to not put him in there. Simple as that. All right, that wraps up this week's wrestling segment. Let's get into some video games. There's quite a few things to discuss, so let's just get the ball rolling. All right, we're opening things up in the gaming segment with Mass Effect. Mass Effect 4 has officially been confirmed. Casey Hudson actually mentioned it on Twitter that the game was in development and is actually soliciting feedback from the fans as to what they would like to see in the next Mass Effect game. Thus far, you know, some of the fans have suggested uh, playing, you know, the Prothean Reaper storyline, getting away from the third-person shooter style, which I don't know why you would do that, and also suggesting uh, other playable races and other enhancements. I really like to see um, companies like this and and creative team members get a get a bit of insight from the fans, only because they may get some good ideas, which will of course lead to a more enjoyable game. And of course, Mass Effect has done tremendous, tremendous money. So to see them soliciting advice from the fans may lead to something completely different than what we've seen before. Now, a game that hasn't even dropped yet is already getting announcements for DLC. I got an email earlier this week regarding it. Of course, DMC Devil May Cry, the remake, is getting DLC with Virgil, Virgil's downfall. It's going to follow, of course, Dante's brother in a completely separate storyline with new locations. The content will be out early in 2013 for Xbox Live Arcade and for PSN. It's going to run you $9 or 720 Microsoft points. But if you pre-order the game from GameStop or EB Games, you'll get a code to download the content for free. So there you go. Now, of course, Capcom made sure to let people know that the content is not on-disc DLC. Of course, we know that Capcom is notorious for pulling that shit with other games. I really don't know how to... How to approach the devil may cry reboot only because those games have always been very enjoyable to me and they kind of lost their step a little bit and when i saw the video footage for the reboot i said to myself i don't know how people are going to embrace this and they've made some changes and they've added a couple of little things that of course keep things flowing with the existing devil may cry universe but the look itself is just completely fucking different. So we'll see how that pans out. It's crazy to see a DLC announcement before the game has even been released, but Capcom is grasping at straws. Zap2 had actually re- reported that Call of Duty Black Ops could end up making more money in its debut week than the Twilight Saga's Breaking Dawn Part 2's opening weekend. 
Of course, Black Ops 2 came out earlier this week, and Twilight will be in theaters. Actually, it's in theaters today. So we'll see how that pans out. The Call of Duty franchise is just making tremendous money. The first Black Ops game made over $650 million worldwide in the first five days when it came out in 2010. Very close to the Twilight Saga Breaking Dawn Part 1, which made $705 million during its entire run. How crazy is that shit? A game did $650 million in five days, and it came close to reaching a goal made during a film's entire run. The gaming genre is just a cash cow that's going to continue generating ridiculous amounts of money. We'll see if Call of Duty does meet those expectations. Uh, Based on what I've heard from different people, uh, the game is pretty enjoyable. Some people are really enjoying the single-player campaign. And, of course, you got people online complaining about multiplayer, but that is to be expected. Business Week also reported that 1 million copies of the game were already sold via GameStop on opening day. It's, it's ridiculous. 1 million copies just from GameStop alone. I, I'm dying to see what the MPD numbers look like for this month. Not only that, but I'm dying to see if Call of Duty's numbers can succeed in beating uh, Breaking Dawn Part 2. If that happens, of course, I'll let you guys know on the Facebook fan page and I will discuss it further next week. PlayStation Plus is coming to the Vita. That will be happening this Monday. Um, And, of course, you're going to get a couple of games to go with it. Uncharted Golden Abyss, Jet Set Radio, Wipeout 2048, Gravity Rush, Tales from Space, and Final Fantasy Tactics. Much like the PSN membership that exists on the PS3, the membership is going to cost you $18 for three months or $50 for the year. But if you are a PS3 user, you can actually also use your membership with the Vita. So there's a bit of a plus there. I will tell you this. I wasn't a big fan of PSM Plus because I didn't feel that it had any value, but the amount of stuff they give away for free in comparison to the $18 you pay every three months is ridiculous. Last, um, they gave away Infamous 2, Direct Download, they gave away Ratchet & Clank, Double Dragon Neon, King of Fighters 13, they've given away countless titles that have you know they're worth substantially more than the $18 you pay so I think it's definitely a solid investment like I said I was initially against it but I've been using it for quite a bit now and it's definitely paid off I really enjoy it so hopefully the PSN can get a little boost and get a couple of games out there and make people actually give a shit about the system because the system is not bad once again though hampered by a really really shitty uh, title lineup which it seems to be the what cripples any handheld efforts that Sony hopes to put out. It always happens every time. Last week we were talking about THQ being in some trouble and banking all their uh, continued success on WWE 13's numbers. It seems as of right now, WWE 13 sold 250,000 copies in the U.S. It's slightly down from last year, but part of the reason is because, of course, Hurricane Sandy affected the release for that, but the game also sold 57,000 copies in the UK. Pre-orders for the game, though, were very high. They were number two in sales behind Assassin's Creed, which sold 1.6 million pre-orders. So we'll see what happens. THQ definitely in dire straits, though. So hopefully, um, they can get their thing, their their shit together. Right now, signs are pointing towards Ubisoft possibly buying some of the assets from THQ. We shall see how that pans out. 
PlayStation All-Stars Battle Royal is around the corner. And I actually have been playing the demo on and off on PSN. It's very enjoyable. And they're already announcing DLC characters for the game. Uh, Cat from Gravity Rush and Emmett Graves from Starhawk will be joining the PlayStation All-Stars roster. Um, they will be free initially for two weeks. But afterwards, you will have to pay to get those characters. So if you're picking up PlayStation All-Stars Battle Royal, make sure to keep an eye on that so you can bag those two free characters. Lastly, of course, this Sunday, the Wii U will be released upon the masses. And, of course, our very own Slick has pre-ordered his Wii U, and he will have his his insight to share with us in the coming weeks with regards to launch titles and just his overall experience with the system. As of right now, GameStop is saying that over 1.2 million people have pre-ordered the Wii U and its games. Now, with that... Of course, you got a pretty decent launch title lineup. You have Zombie U, Assassin's Creed 3, Call of Duty Black Ops, Scribblenauts, and New Super Mario Bros. U. So I expect a pretty decent number of people will be picking up the console with at least Mario. Uh, the console, like I said, drops this Sunday. Uh, 23 different titles will be available at launch. And um, 50 games total within the launch window. So between... Um, November 18th and the end of the year, you should get at minimum 50 titles. We shall see how that pans out. Honestly, the Wii U's lineup is probably the strongest lineup I've seen. But again, it's not so much the lineup that concerns me. It's what happens after the holiday rush is over. Will they be able to maintain the momentum after the holiday season? That's what I'm most concerned with. The launch lineup, of course, very solid. You got Darksiders in there. You got a Mario title. You got Scribblenauts. Black Ops 2, Assassin's Creed, Zombie U, which looks pretty cool. But the main selling point is going to be that tablet controller. And, I'm, and I've been dying to find a store that has a demo unit that I can mess around with. Right now, I haven't seen any. I went to Best Buy twice this week to see. Hopefully, we'll see a demo unit maybe that Sunday or if not, at least Saturday. And I can give you guys some impressions on the control scheme for the system. Until then... We gotta wait till Slick picks it up on the 18th. In some Xbox news, Xbox Live is celebrating its 10-year anniversary. With that, they are doing a contest to give away a special 10-year anniversary edition Xbox. But not only that, they're also discounting a lot of games that you can pick up as well. Castle Crashers is 600 Microsoft points. Battlefield 1943 got discounted 600 Microsoft points. Fruit Ninja Connect, 400 points. Geometry Wars, Bastion, Peggle, and Full House Poker have all been discounted. Also, the Wrecketeer from Iron Galaxy Studios is being given away for free until November 22nd. So, make sure to pick that up. And last but not least, make sure to download the commemorative Xbox Live 10-year anniversary gamer pick. Which, if you download that, it enters you for a chance to win a custom Xbox 360. So be on the lookout for that. If you haven't already, make sure to get that gamer pick to try and get that custom Xbox 360 console. All right, that actually wraps up the gaming news for this week. Let's get into some entertainment news and take it home.
All right, the first bit of entertainment news I want to discuss, of course, involves Star Wars. Ever since Star Wars got picked up by Walt Disney, everybody and their mother is talking about casting choices, uh, returning cast members, directors. But the big thing that's been the the subject of discussion has been directors this week. Superhero Hypes uh, actually put out quite a bit of content this week. First off, they were saying that uh, Zack Snyder denied wanting the job of directing the next Star Wars film. But not only that, Steven Spielberg and, of all people, Quentin Tarantino have also passed on it. So there you go. Star Wars Episode Seven will not be touched by Snyder, Spielberg, or Tarantino. Honestly, Quentin Tarantino being involved in Star Wars would be the craziest and possibly stupidest thing ever. I don't think Quentin Tarantino would be able to do that series justice. Maybe Zack Snyder only because he has a, a great a great style towards all his movies, especially with what I'm seeing with Superman. But again, he's not a guy that I would expect to do it justice. Steven Spielberg, on the other hand, I'm shocked that he didn't jump on it. I think Spielberg would have done a decent job with Star Wars. But as of right now, the search for a director continues. But like I said, Michael Arndt from Toy Story 3 is already working on the screenplay and they are looking at a 2015 release date. So as soon as I hear who gets the wonderful director's nod for Star Wars Episode 7, I will share it with you guys. Until then, let's get into some box office totals. As a shocker, Skyfall is number one. Again, big shocker there. $87.8 million. Wreck-It Ralph was number two. Flight was number three. Argo was four. Taken 2 was number 5. Here Comes the Boom was 6. Cloud Atlas was 7. Pitch Perfect was 8. The Man with the Iron Fist dropped to number 9. And Hotel Transylvania was 10. Now some bit of what the fuck movie news for this week. James Wan, who many of you know for doing Insidious and Saw, is in negotiations to direct, get this, MacGyver. I'm not even kidding. Variety reports that James Wan is close to signing on to direct the film that will adapt our favorite 1980s MacGyver series with, of course, Richard Dean Anderson towards the big screen. Now, the way I see it, nobody, and I repeat, nobody gives a shit about MacGyver, much less a movie about MacGyver. We already had to deal with MacGruber, which was complete festering dog shit. Now, MacGyver, they're going to try and bring that to the screen. Haven't we learned the shit doesn't work? Nobody gives a fuck about a guy that could defuse a bomb with a paperclip. I don't care how much, how much CGI or special effects you use. It is not going to work. It's not. I don't care what anybody says. It is complete dog shit that you would even try to do it. It, it's a zero. It's honestly a zero, in my opinion, that, that they would even do that. Because it's not going to make any money. Nobody gives a shit about MacGyver. Nobody. Joss Whedon's S.H.I.E.L.D. series is coming together quite nicely. Already joining, um, of course, Clark Gregg and uh, Ming-Na Wen are two new actors being announced. Elizabeth Hentridge and Ian Day... Wow. Ian Day Castiker. I guess that's right. Anyway, um, Henstridge is playing Agent Gemma Simmons, and uh, DeCastiker will be playing Agent Leo Fritz, a a technology genius, quote-unquote. Of course, they'll be working, like I said, with Ming-Na Wen, who will be playing Agent Melinda May, and of course, Clark Gregg returns as Agent Coulson. Joss Whedon is writing the pilot, 
And um, there's a lot of hopes on this. Obviously, not only because you're you're bringing the Avengers universe to the small screen, but how well it ties into the movies and what kind of characters we're going to be expecting to see is what I'm interested in. Well, you know, are we going to see some of the more lower grade heroes and villains? Maybe. I don't think it's just going to be all shield. If it is, it's going to be, it's going to, what's it going to be? Superhero men in black. If that's the case, it's going to suck. Hopefully, like I said, we'll see them tackling crimes and doing stuff with other heroes and other villains from the Marvel universe. I hope that's the direction they go. And otherwise I can tell you now that series is going to be short lived to say the least. For those of you that have been watching Arrow, and a lot of you have been reaching out to me on Facebook about it, of course, Arrow's doing a really great job showcasing some of the the many DC villains that we all know and love, including characters like Deathstroke, the Terminator, uh, the Royal Flush Gang, the Huntress, which will be appearing. But another character which I'm shocked they're going to try and bring to the series is going to be Count Vertigo. Um, He's going to be played by Seth Gable, who many of you know from Fringe. We'll be playing the Count Vertigo character. Now, if they're going to add all of his crazy super abilities to the series, I'm interested to see how that pans out. Not only that, but the incarnations of some of the characters they've been using so far on Arrow have been pretty cool. I I really like Deathstroke. He's super cool. I like the way that they added that nice little bit of realism to his character. Of course, the trademark mask is there, which it wouldn't be Deathstroke if it wasn't, but... I'll be honest, Arrow is infinitely better than my experience with Smallville. I remember watching a couple of episodes of Smallville, and I just thought it was Dawson's Creek with superheroes. Uh, Arrow is actually, it still has a little bit of that hokey, you know, love story tied to it to a degree. But there's a lot of really good action, good stunt choreography, and it works pretty well. And of course, the, the formula that they're going with for the series works where he's trying to eliminate people off a list that his father had. So, again, Arrow, I actually have to say, has been pretty solid thus far. Pretty, pretty solid. A couple of weeks back, we were talking about the Beverly Hills Cop TV series and the search for an actor to play Axel Foley's son. Well, ladies and gentlemen, that search is over. Brandon T. Jackson has been cast as the son of Axel Foley and. CBS's Beverly Hills Cop TV series. Of course, CBS confirmed it recently. It was rumored um, a couple of weeks back, and I really wanted to talk about it in detail, but I wasn't sure if it was 100% official. CBS has announced it. It is. Eddie Murphy, of course, will be returning as Axel Foley, but it's going to focus more on his son, Aaron Foley, who, of course, is in Detroit trying to make a name for himself and try and separate himself from the huge shadow that his father cast. I'm actually looking forward to seeing how Eddie Murphy handles himself on the small screen. I think that what's been going on with Eddie Murphy as of late, just all the family movies and stuff, I kind of need to see him back in in a role that helps me appreciate the work he's done instead of remembering all the shit he's put out. You know, Pluto Nash and some of that other garbage. I want to forget that stuff and remember the Eddie Murphy from Coming to America, the Eddie Murphy from Eddie Murphy Raw, the Eddie Murphy, of course, from The Golden Child and Beverly Hills Cop. So hopefully the TV series does well and it can kind of light a fire under Eddie Murphy to do some other projects. We shall see, but I'm I'm definitely going to be checking it out and sharing my thoughts on it as soon as the show is on air. Now we got some what the fuck TV news for this week. Get this. Tarzan. Actually, it's not even TV. It's it's movie and TV because 
They're bringing Tarzan back to the big screen. Get this. And basically, the, the I'm going to share with you guys the plot synopsis before I get into the casting. Anyway, Tarzan has been reassimilated into society and is asked by Queen Victoria to investigate events in the Congo, at which point he teams with an ex-mercenary, get this James, named George Washington Williams, to go up against a warlord who controls a massive diamond mine. Now, of course, this isn't the regular Tarzan we all know. This is a whole brand new reimagining of Tarzan that takes place years after he got off. He got away from the Congo and reassimilated himself. Now, get this for casting. The role of George Washington Williams is rumored to be going to Samuel L. Jackson. Get which okay, I can understand Samuel L. Jackson as a mercenary. Okay. Now, Tarzan. Who, who is going to play Tarzan, you ask? How about Alexander Skarsgård? Famous, of course, for his role of Eric in True Blood and also for Battleship. Yes, he is going to be playing Tarzan. I just, I'm just dying to hear Samuel L. Jackson say, This motherfucker's swinging through the jungle on a fucking vine! Holy shit! Get my ass out of the Congo! I love Samuel L. Jackson, and I know he's going to just add his own crazy spin to this role, but but Tarzan, of all the characters, really? Again, characters that have no business being in the box office, Tarzan being one of them, MacGyver being the other. If you're going to do something with Tarzan, small screen. I wouldn't mind seeing like a more violent Tarzan like on Stars. Or something like that, where you can kind of have him go out there, and he's killing poachers and shit, and, you know, having sex with archaeologists, with female archaeologists that get lost in the rainforest. That works. But movies with Tarzan, and you want me to pay $12? Get the fuck out of here. In the most random, in the most random casting ever, Tom Hardy is going to be playing Sam Fisher in Tom Clancy's Splinter Cell. Collider actually reported it early yesterday, and I had to read up on it to confirm it. But yes, Tom Hardy is going to be playing Sam Fisher in Splinter Cell. Again, Splinter Cell, it works. Tom Hardy's a good actor. But of all the franchises that come to the silver screen, you do Splinter Cell before you do Metal Gear. Honestly, I'd rather see Metal Gear on the silver screen before Splinter Cell. And I'll tell you why. Nobody's given a shit about Splinter Cell in years. Who, who, when was the last time anybody played a Splinter Cell game? I think for me it might have been three or four years ago at best. Ravage in the chat says that Metal Gear is too convoluted for movies. Yeah, if you go exactly by the fucking game, it is absolutely the most convoluted shit ever. But quite honestly, if it's just Snake and Liquid Snake and the fucking clones without getting into all that Illuminati shit, you can put that on the screen. That works. Sam Fisher, sure, I have no problem with it. It's fine. Tom Hardy's a good actor. I have no issue with that. It's just the the the, the relevancy of the character is in the toilet. It's in the toilet. Who gives a shit about Splinter Cell right now? Hopefully they got a nice a nice marketing campaign behind it. And not only that, they give us a new game to make people actually give a shit about it. 
Ravage in the chat says that the movie would work if they did the first one from the NES or the first game from PS1. I agree. If you get into that crazy shit with the Patriots and 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 Raiden the Ninja, and all, ugh, it's not going to work. It's not going to work. I, I have to give you that. But this isn't the only bit of game-to-film game news for this week. Get this. CBS Films put out a press release that Scott Derrickson, who did Sinister and the Exorcism of Emily Rose, pay attention. This guy did Sinister and the Exorcism of Emily Rose, is going to be doing a film adaptation of Deus Ex Human Revolution. Of course, this is based on the game put out by Square Enix, which, again, another game. Nobody gives a shit about Deus Ex. It came and went. It made a blip on the video game radar, and you're casting a guy who's done Sinister and the Exorcism of Emily Rose horror movies that were marginal at best to try and bring this to the silver screen. Again, doesn't work. It, it doesn't work only because there's so many other properties that you can give this film treatment to that would do substantially better in the box office than obscure shit like Deus Ex or shit like Splinter Cell that nobody's touched in years. I have to agree with what Ravage said in the chat. They need to do a couple of more Deus Ex games before even trying a movie. I agree 100%. Shifting gears in some small screen news, I am happy to announce that American Horror Story has been renewed for a third season. The network officially announced it today that the show will be back next year with another 13-episode run, and Jessica Lange will be returning. Uh, the current season, which is, of course, American Horror Story Asylum, which is the weirdest shit ever, is finishing up in January. And then the next season is going to start production in the summer and debut in the fall. So there you have it. I actually have been enjoying American Horror Story Asylum. There is a little bit of weirdness afoot with regards to the pacing of the show. But the cast that they got has done a tremendous, tremendous job. And lastly, it would only be fair to close out the show with another bit of what-the-fuck movie news, and that is Asteroids the Game coming to the big screen. I joked about this uh, about three or four months ago. It is actually starting to gain steam. Universal Pictures and producer Lorenzo Di Bonaventura have actually hired Jez Butterworth, who is a playwright-turned-screenwriter, who is going to try and put together an early draft of the script Needless to say, thus far, it sounds like Battleship with Asteroids. That's it. And guaranteed, it's going to suck just as bad as Battleship did. I kid you not. Anyway, that actually wraps up the show for this week. It was a short show. Things have been a little quiet. But that is it, ladies and gentlemen. So, without further ado, you've just heard My Take Radio episode 162. On broadcast Thursday, November 15th, 2012. If you have any questions, concerns, or would like to be a future guest on My Take Radio, you can email me at mtrhost at mytakeradio.com. You can also hit up our feedback line, 347-815-0687. That's 347-815-0MTR. If you don't want your voicemail played on air, please make sure to specify that when you record your message. As for social media, you can find MTR on Twitter, at MyTakeRadio, on MySpace. Become a fan on Facebook, and of course, add us to your circle on Google+. Make sure to pick up the official MTR app, available for your Android and iOS devices. It's $1.99. Gives you access to 96K stereo episodes of MTR, plus exclusive MyTakeRadio content, 
mobile wallpapers, and a host of other stuff. Not only that, it's cheaper than a cup of coffee at Starbucks. Make sure to pick it up. Last but not least, of course, you can always listen to MTR via Blog Talk Radio, the Zune Marketplace, iTunes, and Stitcher. We do ask if you're getting the show from iTunes, please take a moment and rate the show. We'd really appreciate it, and it continues to push us towards cracking that top 100 spot. So again, if you're getting the show from iTunes, a review takes two seconds. Help us out. All right. That is going to wrap things up. Let's get the hell out of here. I will catch you guys next Wednesday, hopefully, at 11 p.m. Eastern, 8 p.m. Pacific. Now, as for what outro music is going to take us out this week, I honestly have no idea. But I'm sure I will figure that out momentarily. Until then, peace. Let's go out with um, Final Fantasy VII's The Omen of Genova, available on ocremix.org.
Thank you for using Blog Talk Radio. Goodbye.